Amazon's got everything you need for your dorm. From everyday essentials and school supplies, to clothes and decor, to bedding for... Power naps. And regular naps, too. Save on all things college at Amazon. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, this week we have something that, to be honest, I've never heard of. Don't know a thing about it, and it's it's very new for me. Um, obviously, we're, we're joined again by, by my dad this week. He's been doing a bit of research on a few different podcasts, a few different ideas that are coming to light. Some of them I know. This one I have never heard of, but given the choice, Dad, you said this one was your favourite. So this is something I know nothing, absolutely nothing about. In fact, I didn't even know what type of vehicle, yeah. the class yeah. as a vehicle. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know what type of vehicle it was. So uh, yeah, this one I'll be learning with you guys because I I haven't got a clue. So what what are we talking about? We're talking about HMS Thetis. See, I know HMS. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know what Thetis is. Ah. Um, But HMS is Her Majesty's ship. Close. Uh, So if it's not ship, it's a submarine. Correct. Yes. So, don't know. Haven't got a clue. Uh, Are we talking World War One, World War Two? We're actually talking between the two wars. Right. Okay. Okay. So you're looking at you're looking at yeah. Even, now I'm now I'm really confused. Now so I'm you're really confused. Yeah. I'm expecting like a submarine that's been shot or okay. Yeah, go right. on, take it away. Uh, so this podcast is about a British submarine called HMS Thetis, Her Majesty's Submarine Thetis, a T H E T I S, and the story behind it. Um, unlike all the ones I've done before, we've just got to set out a little bit of scene and a little bit of background. Yep. Yeah, go for it. So. Unfortunately, you're going to little you're going to have a little bit of a lesson. <laughs> okay, we got to start with a bit of physics. Oh, not science. Yeah. So, why do things float? It's the distribution of weight. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. It's basically a case of weight. Everything has a size, even irregular shapes, and and obviously, if any water weighs less than the same amount of water, it will float. If it weighs heavier, it will sink. So we'll put it simply, get any shape whatsoever. Fill a container of water right to the top, so yeah, yeah, as far as it will go, and fully immerse the item you've got in the water. The water overflows. Yes. 
the amount it overflows will be actually the same volume as the item that you've dropped in. Mm -hmm. This is known as the item's displacement. You've now got two separate weights, the item itself and the displaced amount of water. Mm -hmm. The heaviest item, if that is the item and it's heavier than the amount of water, it will sink. Yep. If it's lighter, it will float. That's, that that's your science lesson. Yeah, that makes, okay? yeah, makes total sense. So how does that relate to a submarine? Yeah, so if you really imagine a submarine is a steel tube cylinder with a separate section on either side. If these sections can be filled with water, then it's just the tube that is the weight. Okay. Yeah. That is a small area. It's going to be heavier than the water it displaces. It will sink. Right. If you fill the two containers on the outside back up with air, then yep. the submarine becomes technically bigger. Yes. And displaces more water. Mm-hmm. becomes lighter than the water displaced, so it floats. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, submarines will sink. They'll sink like ships if the weight is actually heavier than the water. That must so, be one of the worst deaths ever. Because you know the entire time you're going... Because you're alive. It's not like when a ship goes down, it fills with water, and you know you you drown pretty quickly. You die in a submarine. It's not filled with water. It's filled with air. Yeah. So you're just waiting for the air to run out. In theory, yes, but in practical, in, in practical, no. It's actually better to die in a submarine than it is to die in a ship. Okay, wouldn't want to die in either, to be no, fair. But but yeah, that's a side note. But you know, this this isn't in my notes, by the way. Okay, all right. But what happens is, is uh, if you can, if you get um, a tin can mm. sealed, yeah, and you take it down underwater eventually the water pressure on the outside will crush the can. Yes. Yeah? That's what happens in a submarine. So if a submarine starts to sink in deep water, it will reach a point which is called the crush depth where the submarine just goes and squashes. Yeah. That is instant. If you're inside that submarine at that point, bang, you've gone. That's instant. What you're thinking of is if a submarine doesn't reach the crush depth but hits the bottom... Yeah. That's not nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was... Yeah. That's what you're thinking of. But, yeah. So. I like the little sound effect of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, it. that's what it is, isn't it? It, it just works. goes... And that's it. It's gone. <laughs> right. So, we go back to May the 12th, 1939. Okay. There was an American submarine called the Squalus, and basically it had an, an engine room failure, which flooded the engine room. Submarine goes down. It went down off the coast of New Hampshire. 26 men died in the engine room okay. of, of the crew. Flooded. But everybody else was alive in the submarine. It's on the bottom. The latest submarine equipment was used in one of the most dramatic rescues in submarine history. They got 33 men out. Wow. Okay. One week later, three months before the start of the Second World War... Great Britain had a very similar incident. This is the story. Okay. So now you know what we're talking about. Okay. Is it more impressive than the US version? Of course. It's yeah. British. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Okay. Now, 
HMS Thetis was a British T-class submarine built by a company called Camel Laird in Birkenhead, Liverpool. She was 270 feet long and had a displacement of 1,590 tonnes. She was designed to have a crew of 56 and she had six torpedo tubes in the bow. It took 20 months to build at a cost of £350,000, which is about £24 million today. Wow, that's a lot of inflation. Okay. Now, with the, excess, with the success of the German submarines in World War I, Britain realised they needed to have some in their navy. So, as a result, they designed what they called the T-Class submarine, and HMS Thetis was the first of these. Um, she was named, because you didn't know what Thetis was, she was actually named after the mother of Achilles, uh, in Greek mythology. Great. Yeah. Achilles, who died with an arrow <laughs> in his ankle. All right. And her construction began on the 21st of December, 1936. Uh, she was the latest design. She had many new features, which would become actually become relevant about what was going to happen. So I'll try and simplify the issues as we go on through this sequence of events. All right. The hull of the Thetis, having been completed, she was christened on the 29th of June, 1938, and the usual Royal Navy way, smash a bottle of champagne on the hull with the words, I named this submarine, God bless her and all who sail in her, yeah? Yeah, God save the king and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was then sent to be fitted out. Okay. So you got to that's launched. Now, just like the Titanic that had been constructed 28 years before, she was designed with watertight compartments. Now, believe it or not, that's a necessity in submarines. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the Thetis had six. So, start at the front. Yep. You had the forward torpedo room. Yep. The torpedo storage room. The crew accommodation. The control room. The engine room. The steering compartment. And then you had the bit at the back. So, you yep. got your six watertight compartments. There were two escape chambers. One was in the watertight bulkhead between sections one and two. And the other was between five and six. Okay. Once she had been completed, she underwent a full inspection prior to her carrying out full sea trials. Now, one of the problems they found in the inspection concerned the forward torpedo tubes. Uh, these tubes, the interior needed to be smooth and growth resistant. So for this reason, they were painted and enameled. Mm -hmm. uh, Camel Laird had done this, but they'd forgotten to do the inside of the torpedo tube doors. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so they needed to do that. Good so it checked. Was, it was, yeah, so they had to redo that. Following that, she was sent into a dry dock mm -hmm. where they filled it with water, and that was basic, a static, what they call static tests. She then moves on to the machinery trials in Liverpool Bay. Bearing in mind she's built in Liverpool. Yes. She goes out into Liverpool Bay. Mm-hmm. Now, this was mid-April. Um, the sea trials would be for the engines, the steering, the dive trials, and they're due to take place up in Scotland. So she goes out into Liverpool Bay yeah. on a, to go up to Scotland towards and, and have these tests at the end of the month. The Scottish tests didn't take place. Right. There was a problem. Some uh, kind person <laughs> had made a little bit of a mistake. 
and the rudders on the submarine were connected incorrectly. In fact, the fault was such a big problem it had to go back to the yard because when they turned to the port, which is left, yeah, it went right. Brilliant. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a problem there. Just, just a bit, yeah. yeah. You're aiming for Germany and you hit America. It's not really. Yeah. yeah. So they had to go back and have that all that repaired and sorted out. As a result, the dive trials, which were scheduled for the 1st of June in Scotland, didn't take place in Scotland. They didn't take place then. They were scheduled for later on in the year. And Liverpool Bay was chosen as the place where they were going to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. The submarine's big test day arrives. She leaves the shipyard, makes her way into Liverpool Bay, 14 miles offshore. On board were employers from Camel Laird, the builders, Mm -hmm. men from Vickers Armstrong, who were also as another company, but they were building two other T-type submarines. Yeah. HMS Takao and HMS Trident. Uh, The commanders of those two submarines were on board. The men from the steering gear manufacturers were on board in case their repairs and their modifications screwed up there were caterers on board who were going to serve a meal to everybody underwater there were officers from the admiralty including the commander of the submarine flotilla which is where thetis was going to join in all 103 people right a bit more than the 56 yeah yeah just that hms trident we still have that now HMS Trident, yes, there is a HMS Trident. Now it's a nuclear submarine. Yeah. Now, taking the the submarine out into Liverpool Bay was a pilot, uh, Norman Wilcox. Yep. And shadowing the submarine was an escort. The escort was a tug called the Griebcock. Now, she's going to act as a surface contact, and we're away. We're in Liverpool Bay. We're 14 miles offshore. The Griebcock pulls up at 2 o'clock pulls close to Thetis with the intention of taking some of the extra men off before she goes into the dive trials. Yeah, makes sense. No one wanted to leave, and that included the pilot. I mean, that's probable that nobody wanted to miss out on the experience of going underwater in a submarine, because, yeah. you know, we're at 1939. Yeah, it's quite, uh, you know, quite they're, they're, early. It's quite early, yeah. Permission was granted from submarine command, and the submarine was cleared to dive. Hatches were closed. Mm-hmm. Everybody waited for the submarine to leave the surface, but it didn't. Uh, it stayed there, and it stayed there for an hour with the uh, the hatches closed. Eventually, the bow of the submarine went under, but the stern shot up, and it wasn't doing what it was suspected to do. It dropped back down again, then the stern rose again, leveled off, and then dropped. Now, some of the crew on the tug didn't think that was quite normal for a submarine. No shit. All right. And, and the ca- the captain on, the, on the, the tugboat, the escort, said later, she went down like a stone. Yeah. But this is an hour after the hatches had closed. All right. Yeah. The Thetis left the surface at 14.58, two minutes to three in the afternoon. Okay. Uh, the plan was for the Thetis to remain submerged for a short period while leakage and equipment tests were carried out. Then it would surface, and then it would submerge for a longer second dive. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest, and this is where it starts to get really sort of silly, the escort vessel wasn't equipped with any form of underwater communication. 
it wasn't equipped with detection equipment and the sub and the tug itself only had a very very short range radio so not really the ideal ship to be out there 20 30 mile radio yeah yeah bearing in mind you're 14 miles offshore yeah, it wasn't a concern. It really wasn't much of a concern. But as time went on, it began to change. No emergency boy came up and no smoke signal. By quarter to five, so we're an hour and three quarters in, the captain of the tug was starting to get worried and he got so worried that he radioed the shore. Okay. okay. The, the final destination of the message was going to be Submarine Command, which is in Gosport, which is in the south coast, 300 miles away, but that radio Funnily is enough. never, ever going to reach there. The tug's message was, what is the duration of the Thetis dive? That was just the question. Um, it took 10 minutes for the coastal station at Liverpool to acknowledge the message. It then gets sent by telegraph to Gosport's Gosport Post Office handed to a boy on a bike who, believe it or not, got a puncher on the way delivering it. (laughs) Okay. And finally, the message got to the Royal Navy Submarine Command at quarter past six, three and a quarter hours after the submarine had gone down. Right. Okay. It's a submarine, you know, they, they, they can stay underwater for a long time. Yeah, but still. But still, you know. Funnily enough, they were already aware that there may be a problem because the Thetis had actually been instructed to radio back every 10 minutes during the test and nothing had been received. So uh, HMS Brazen and five Navy planes uh, were dispatched to Liverpool Bay. And and, uh, HMS Brazen was what we call an Aztec-equipped ship, so it had an underwater search capability. Yeah. We're talking pre-Second World War, though. So it's not... Yeah. It's not high-powered sonar. No. It's just... The Navy's dive ship, which had the submarine rescue equipment, mm-hmm. uh, was also ordered to the location, but that was stuck up in Scotland and didn't have enough coal. Right. All right. It would be nine o'clock in the evening before HMS Brazen and the five aircraft arrived, and by then it's getting dark. They started to conduct a search for the missing submarine. Mm-hmm. 12 hours later, 9am, a boy was spotted by HMS Brazen. And upon approaching it, they realised that it was actually the rudder of a submarine sticking out of the water. Wasn't a boy. Was not a boy. It was... The Americans call him a a buoy. Yeah, but to be fair... It's a boy. Yeah, it is a boy, but... You can understand, it is written, buoy. I would say it's one of the words that America actually get right, that we don't. <laughs> it is It is yeah. written, buoy, but yeah, for anyone who thinks we're just talking about some child in the water, yeah, they're called a boy over here. Yeah, so, so they're, they're, it's just sticking out of the water. So as HMS Brazen approaches, two men pop up close to it, and they're waving, they're actually wearing submarine escape equipment davis escape equipment so they turned out to be the thetis's flotilla commander bloke called captain orham and lieutenant woods he was a torpedo operator torpedo officer okay all right both men were suffering from extreme carbon dioxide poisoning they but they were still able to describe what conditions were like and they had with them a rescue plan 
At 10 to 10, there was another load of bubbles came up. That was leading stoker Arnold and a gentleman called Mr. Shaw from Camel Laird, one of the builders. They'd got to the surface. The rescuers, knowing that they've now got a problem, haven't they? They've got the back end of this submarine sticking out of the water. They've got four people and they know that there's an issue. So what they tried to do is they tried to unbolt a cover at the back of the submarine uh, that was out of the water, but you suddenly got a rush of air coming out from the submarine. Yeah. So they got so, so shit scared, they bolted it back down. Yeah. Because <laughs> what they didn't want to do is for the submarine to fill up with water. Yeah. And and drown the 99 people that was still in it. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So... They contacted the Navy with regards to cutting a hole in the submarine large enough to actually get the men out. While they were waiting for the replies, a number two further sets of bubbles were seen coming to the surface, um, but nobody actually came out. And you could hear hammering coming from inside the submarine through the water. So they could, they could, they could hear them. Now, the, obviously, Liverpool Bay is tidal. Yes. So they had to try and secure the back end of the submarine to prevent it from going yeah. back under the water. Unfortunately, at, at s- 6 o'clock in the evening, which is 30 hours after the Thetis had first gone under, the cable snapped and the Thetis back end disappeared. Right. Okay. So they secured it and then... And then it broke. Brilliant. So now we're going to leave the surface efforts and go back 24 hours to see what happened inside the submarine. mm and we know what happened because you've got four survivors that you know about at this yeah. stage. So they're, they're relaying what's happened, yeah. how it's happened. Okay. So the commander of the Thetis, Lieutenant Commander Bolas, he receives authorization to dive shortly before 3 p.m. in the afternoon. All the dive procedures are followed. Hatches are closed. The, the tanks are flooded. And despite having twice the number of people on board, it don't go under the water. Um, the problem, according to the, the crew, was it was it had too much forward buoyancy. Now, there's no apparent reason for this. So they asked some questions. And one of the questions they asked were, were the torpedo tubes flooded? You know, if not, they could be flooded, add extra weight to the submarine, and it could go down. Now, the Thetis was a new design of submarine. And... This is where we have a little bit of a look at the bulkhead of the front of the submarine. All right, front of the submarine, you've got a wall. There were six forward torpedo tubes, numbered one to six, and they were set in two columns of three. Looking at the doors, they were marked left to right. Top row, two, one. Middle row, four, three. Bottom row, six, five. Let that sink in, because it's not what you'd expect. No, it's not at all. Uh, this was the result of some bright spark engineer actually numbering them from the outside. Okay, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. it makes sense now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there were six tubes, numbers five and six were permanently below the waterline. And to complicate the matter, the outer door indicators were set, in the, the dials were set in a vertical line, single vertical line, between the, two, the, the, the torpedo tubes. Right. And they were numbered top to bottom. Two, one, four, three, six, five. Bloody yeah. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, that's not exactly. Add to that, they took the form of a needle pointing either at 10 o'clock or 4 o'clock. 
Okay. One direction indicating the door, the outer door was open. Mm-hmm. And one dire- one saying that the outer door was closed. Okay. Now, <laughs> because of this, what you're going to you're not going to like this bit, or rather, you might. Tubes two, four, and six were closed when the needle was pointing at ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. But indicators one, three, and five were closed when the needle was pointing at four o'clock. Right. Okay. Because of the way they were. Yeah. Done. Yeah. But they're in a straight line, and they're not. No, so you have to have one one way, then down, left, right, left, the way yeah. going down to know that they're yeah. closed, rather than having them all facing. And knowing the that the top one is number two and not number, not number one. one, yeah, yeah. Added to that, the indicator for number five was obscured by a metal bar, so you couldn't really see it unless you went right up to it and saw it. The levers that operated the outer doors had three positions, open, closed, and neutral. Previously, all British submarines only had open or closed. The, the, this, the neutral was just added for, for ease, but it wasn't didn't make it easier. What it did was when you moved it to open, the lever would then go back to the upright position, which was neutral. So when you looked at them, they should all be in neutral position, but you couldn't tell whether they were open and closed. You could only tell whether they were open via the dials. So new- it made them look better, but <laughs> it was actually more awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a brand new submarine. It's on a test dive with a brand new crew. And they don't know what they're doing. And they, yeah. Yeah. This meant that the actual conditions of the bow, the, the bow torpedo tube outer doors couldn't really be established unless you were looking by looking at the levers. You had to look at the dials. The inner torpedo tube, so the torpedo tube door, there were two levers, one large one and one small one. Mm. The large one locked the the torpedo tube door. The small one opened a little tube, and if you opened that tube and a small amount of water came out, you knew that the tube was full of water. Bow door would be open. So it's an an additional check, yeah? And, And that's how they did it. So, we're coming up to an hour after that she should have dived and Thetis was still on the surface. The order was given to check the forward torpedo tubes. Now, Lieutenant Woods, the submarine's torpedo officer, would later say that all the bow door indicators were showing closed, all the bow levers were closed, and he noted in the ship's log at 10.55, so we're talking 11 o'clock, so what four hours prior to this, that... There was an order to flood the tubes. 10.56, it was recorded in the log, the tubes were flooded. Okay. So it's in the logs. This contradicted what he could see. So he goes over to Mr. Robinson, who's one of the engineers from the builders, and says, should the tubes be flooded for diving? They shouldn't. They're not meant to be. So Woods decides to check physically. He also knew that he, during the actual dive and the test, he's going to have to open the, the doors anyway to check to see if there's any leaks from the, the bow doors and see if the uh, torpedo tubes are, are clear. So he's got to do that anyway. So starting at the top, he operates the small levers on tubes one, 2, 1 and 4 and 3. They're all dry. Tube 6 was slightly different. There's a little bit of water trickles out, and that indicates that the tube had some water in it, but not a lot. 
and that tells him that tube six was partially flooded doesn't tell him whether the door's open or not but it tells him there's water in it moves on to tube five which is the bottom right opens the valve no water comes out of the tube so it's not flooded so it's not flooded tube is empty so he gives the instruction tube is empty open the door the lever is very very stiff leading seaman hambrook is a bloke that uh, had to kick the lever to get it to move and and to be honest the stiffness was probably due to it being brand new yeah that's makes sense. yeah small amount of water starts to drip from the seal and this was going to be expected because to be honest it's a brand, it's brand new, new brand yeah. new submarine isn't it there's an almighty bang the uh, torpedo tube door flies open and in rushes the irish sea right Okay, but they checked it and it was dry. Yeah. This is now pouring water in at a great rate. All right. No effort was made to close the outer door because Woods actually believed it's already closed. So there's got to be a break in the tube somewhere. And the wall of water that's entering the submarine prevents anybody from getting anywhere near that bow closure door. Yeah, you can't. You ain't going to do it. Now, these aren't automatic, they're manual. There's no there's no power doors on these submarines. Yeah. You're not going to to be able to physically push back that. Okay, there were seven men in the torpedo room at the time. They knew that this was serious and they needed to get out of that compartment very, very quickly. The control room knew that there was a problem because there was a sudden blast of air rushing through the submarine. Now, bearing in mind the submarine is a, a, a sealed unit, there is no air goes through a submarine. So the minute you get a blast of air, you know something's drastically wrong. In the torpedo room, Woods has to help Hambrook because he's severely injured by the torpedo door as it shot open. But all seven made it into the torpedo storage room, which, by the way, had been set up for a dining table for the submerged meal. There were no torpedoes in there. It's It's a test dive. Yeah. Now, to add to the problem... All watertight doors in these submarines weren't automatic. They had to be closed manually and they opened outwards away from the control room. This is so that any breach at the front or rear would actually, the water would help seal the, the door shut okay. rather than force it open. So it's, you know. This configuration caused a little bit of a problem because it meant the two doors, which were side by side leading into the torpedo room, opened into the torpedo room now that room was filling very very fast and the submarine was going down by the front so it was tilting away from them yes you've almost got to lean in to pull the door and they're not light doors either all the tables the chairs and the meal stuff had fallen onto the men trying to close the door it's two things needed for a watertight door especially in an emergency they've got to be able to close quick and that closure has got to be easy the doors on the Thetis were neither. They swung away from the men and into the room that was rapidly becoming swamped. That meant that the crew had to pull the doors upwards to close them. All the uh, tables, chairs and food fell towards the door. That hampered the crew's efforts to close the door. Then there's the locking mechanism. Originally it was designed with a single wheel lock, which is a wheel in the, in the middle of the door. You turn it and it locks. Yeah. Now they changed that. 18 wing nuts. Shut the door. 18 bolts, clamp, 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 and then seal them. So the crew were fighting against all of this, and the water was coming in. 18? 18 separate 
wing nut bolts. As opposed to one? As opposed to one. In an emergency? Yeah. <laughs> Bearing in mind there's two doors. Uh, yeah. Well, it was made in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That's going to really piss someone off, that, isn't it, that comment? <laughs> you then get a short circuit. Everything goes dark. All the lights go out. They couldn't close the doors. They, they've had to abandon the second compartment and shut the door. It's not doable. Now, the Thetis was designed to remain afloat with one compartment flooded. She couldn't stay afloat with two. As a result, she went to the bottom, 150 feet down. Yeah. Now, there are four experienced submarine commanders on board, so they decide the course of action. So they decided what they were going to do is force the water back out of the flooded section, so they had to seal the torpedo tube. The escape chamber could be used as an airlock because it had a door on both sides Mm -hmm. between two and three. So the plan was to send somebody in through the airlock from compartment three, flood the, um, the escape tube, open the door into compartment two, go through compartment two into compartment one, shut the door. Yeah. Pump the water out. Okay, that's quite risky, though, isn't it, for the the poor sod who has to do it? Lieutenant Woods and one other sailor volunteered to go into the chamber. Now, you've got to remember, the lights are out, it's pitch black, it's freezing cold. The escape chamber is designed for one man only. It's about the same size as a shower cubicle. Hmm. The two men put on Davis escape sets and entered the chamber. The door is sealed, the valves are opened, but as the water level rises, the pressure increases and you get the discomfort. Now, divers will know about it because it hurts your ears. Mm -hmm. But this is in a time when scuba diving wasn't invented. And they didn't know. Your average sailor did not know about water pressure and, and how it affects your ears and things. The pain was just too much for the sailor, so the attempt was abandoned. They drained it back out. Another submariner took his place. He found the pressure too great, and he couldn't cope with it. So they concluded that the submarine was too deep to actually use the escape chamber to get into the forward compartment. Now, they knew in the submarine that it was getting dark on the surface so they'd also been made aware that there had been no contact made with any of the surface vessels and they might not have been located so anybody leaving the submarine and lucky being lucky to survive the ascent would reach the surface in complete darkness and in that cold if they're not spotted they would not survive long no no they wouldn't so in reality it was a suicide mission to try and get out. So the plan was decided that two men would use the escape hatch at the rear. Okay. They would wait until the dawn. Yeah. And they would go there. They would pin an escape plan to themselves. So if they didn't survive on the surface, there would be an escape plan for the rescuers. So a suicide mission, basically. All right, the plan was that uh, they needed airlines, where to attach them, and where to seal the submarine so that the, the, the air wouldn't escape. Now, during the dark hours, so they didn't sit on their asses. what they did is they moved every single thing that they could to the front of the submarine. Right, okay. They dumped all the fuel from the rear tanks, 
and they tried to make the submarine as light as possible to raise the back end of the submarine closer to the surface because they thought they were too deep. This actually worked and the rear of the sub actually rose to break the surface. The hatch, however, remained about 20 feet underwater. So the top of the hatch was 20 feet below the water. The two men chosen to escape were Commander Oram and Lieutenant Woods. They covered themselves in engine grease to help against the cold. They didn't know how long they were going to be up there. At this point, they heard several loud explosions. The men on the submarine heard explosions. Right, okay. They'd been found. But I think they'd only been found because the back end of the submarine was now sticking out the water. Yeah. Yeah? That was the signal that the submarine had been found. They go into the uh, escape chamber, the outer hatch was opened, and the people inside the submarine could see daylight through the chamber glass. That's got to be a morale boost, because you're yeah. in there, it's dark. Yeah. You know, you've got torches. and uh, flashlight in America, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a torch over here. Yeah. yeah. So then suddenly they've got daylight. Suddenly the morale goes up. Yeah, you can imagine. The problem inside the submarine isn't a lack of air. It's the build-up of carbon dioxide that the 103 men were actually breathing out. Yeah. CO2 kills people, but it first gives you severe headaches. It makes you unable to concentrate. Mm. It doesn't do you any good at all. The captain of the Thetis knew that the escape hatch took 15 to 20 minutes to fill and send somebody up. Okay. They didn't have the time to get everyone out. to get everybody out before they would be overcome by CO2. So what they did is they sent four men into the escape chamber. Four? Into like a shower cubicle? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been uncomfortable. They flooded it, which is what happens. Nothing happened. The men in the chamber, or the men on the outside of the chamber, were watching through the, the glass window. Nothing happens. Eventually they decide something's wrong and they drain the water back out. And they realised that there was not enough room in that chamber for the men inside to move. Subsequently, they couldn't open the hatch. Three of them had died from drowning, and the fourth one died after they got him out. No, oh, so they basically put four people in there and just drowned them. Yeah. So that was abandoned. Two more men were picked to go next. Fuck that. One was a submariner who'd been trained in escape. The other one was a gentleman who worked for the builders. Yeah. They entered the chamber. They flooded the chamber. The two people opened the hatch and went for the surface. The chamber was then drained, and two more pe- more people opened and went in. Uh-huh. So you've got four on the surface now, and there's another two going in. They couldn't open the, uh, the outer hatch. It raised three inches, but would not open any further. They, they hammered it. They tried to prise it with absolutely everything. After a few minutes, they gave up. They returned to back inside the submarine. What happened was the last two men hadn't reset the locking mechanism, which meant the hatch couldn't open sufficiently to allow somebody else. Chamber is now non-usable. Wow. Okay. 99 men still on board, and they are now dependent on the men on the surface, and time's running out. Well, it was 95, because four are dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That seems really brutal. But it's, I suppose it's just just part of it, isn't it? But when you sort of almost just think you've you've put four men in to a to a tube and just flooded it for them, yeah, <laughs> it must have been quite a horrible. It's not good, is it? No, must have been a horrible situation to be in. Yeah. 
So yeah, now it's it doesn't look good. No, no, it really doesn't. And I think if you're one of the ninety nine on board, knowing that your efforts are completely dependent on you know the the rest the of the efforts outside, you can't even contact them. You don't know what's going on. It's uh, uh, yeah, it must be a bit a bit scary that. Yeah, just a bit. The Admiralty has announced that there is no longer any justification for hope that any further lives can be saved from the submarine Thetis. The latest information is that salvage work is proceeding and that the submarine will either be towed to the nearest shore and beached or brought back to Birkenhead. Hmm. Okay. No further men escaped. 99 men died inside that steel tube. The Thetis remains the Royal Navy's greatest ever submarine loss. Wow. Uh, She was eventually raised from the seabed five months later, beached on shore. But by then, Britain was at war with Germany. The bodies were removed. She was cleaned out, repaired. And in 1940, she was renamed HMS Thunderbolt. As HMS Thunderbolt, in 1943, she was attacked by depth charges in the Mediterranean by an Italian warship, and she was lost with all crew. It was three years to the day since the Thetis sank. So it actually... Sank twice. Yeah, on the same day, but three years apart. But three years apart. So, what actually co- what actually caused the Thetis to go, and why were there f- so few survivors when technically she was on the surface? Yeah, obviously she's gone down because the number five torpedo tube inner door was opened when the outer door was open. All right, this uh, this happened because the controls and the gauges were new; they were open and closed positions with different directions Uh, the gauge for number five tube was obscured by metal bar the bow closure levers were all set to neutral because that was an option that's the way they returned they're all contributing factors but the main one was the check by lieutenant woods on the door of number five no water came out when he operated that check lever Now, he couldn't have known it at the time, but when Thetis was actually raised, this is what they discovered. The small hole in the door was blocked by paint from when the inside of the door had been painted. No water could flow out, so the Thetis sank because of a little tiny bit of paint. Bloody hell, so if that paint was not there, or had dried properly, when he opened that, tube he'd have seen a little trickle of water coming out he wouldn't have opened the main torpedo tube door wow now uh, there's a lot of a lot of ifs and and any one of these would have changed it Um, if non-essential people had left the submarine before she would have died it would have been less crowded they'd have had more air and less co2 if the gauges were designed to have consistent readings and number five wasn't behind the metal bar they'd have had a better chance of working it out yeah if hambrook hadn't have been injured by the door when it flew open the crew might have had more time to exit the compartment they might have been able to shut the first compartment not the second one yeah so it kept on the if the navy hadn't tried to change uh, hadn't tried to save money by changing the locking mechanism on the door from a single wheel to 18 wing nuts they'd have been able to shut the door with only one flooded compartment that's to me that just seems so stupid 
if the escort ship had have had a better radio, ship to shore communication would have been quicker. If the message had have been marked urgent, there wouldn't have been such a delay. If the courier hadn't had a puncher on his pedal bike, the message would have arrived faster. Mm. If the rescue ship had have been closer, if they'd have managed to get into the flooded compartment, they could have closed the inner door and used air to force the water out. If the crew had used the forward escape chamber, more could have got out. They could still have used the forward escape chamber, but it was deeper. Yeah. And they were scared that it was too deep. If the outer hatch hadn't have jammed, they could have escaped. If the rescuers had been able to cut a hole in the hull, the crew would have had another way out. Funnily enough, the Admiralty refused to allow it because they thought it would cause a weak point on a submarine which would reduce its efficiency in a combat situation. So that's why they refused it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so they didn't save people because that potentially could have been used at a later date. Yeah, as a weak point. Yeah. There was a Navy and a public inquiry. The Navy, the Navy one came first. They blamed Lieutenant Woods. Funnily enough, he actually survived the thing. He was the, the one of the first ones out. But because Britain was at war... No action was taken against him. Bloody hell. There was a lot of pressure on the public inquiry to conclude that the incident was an accident and no one was to blame. Funnily enough, that's what they came out with. Mm. And Lieutenant Woods actually remained in the Navy, but he never went back to submarines. He died in a car crash in 1947, two years after the end of the war. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone back to so, submarines after that. One of the good things that came out of this was there is now a safety catch fitted on all British submarine torpedo tube inner doors. It holds the door closed once the seal is broken to mm. prevent further incidents. Yeah. Ah. Um, it's called a Thetis clip, but um, talk to a sub submariner, a British submariner about it. They'll never call it that. It's called a torpedo door safety device. <laughs> that must be one of the words that's never spoken. It and, is, yeah. yeah. It's the Thetis clip. Um, it's 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 very simple. It's just a clamp that goes over the uh, the, the door. actual door itself. It will allow it to open a small amount. But if there's pressure against it, it just holds it there and you can force it closed. Plus, all modern submarines are powered doors anyway. Mm. But, yeah. So, there you go. That is the story of the Thetis. Bloody hell. So, I, I mean, that's that's a, a bit of a tragedy, really, I think, of a story. But I'm going to go back because I'm guaranteeing you there's an American thinking exactly what I'm thinking right now. At the start of this, you said there was an American submarine that managed to get 33 people off their submarine. Yes. And the British story was better because it was British. This does not sound like a better story. This sounds like a lot worse. The Americans got their men off and we sunk 100 people. Not well, sure it's a better... <laughs> it's a good story. I, that is, a, or shall we say, maybe not better, but it's a more interesting story. Yes, yeah. Although I could actually go with the USS Squalus and do a, uh, a podcast on that because only 26 men were killed on the Squalus mm. and you know 33 got out. And she was in 240 feet of water. Wow. The Thetis was in 150 feet of water. See, I find it strange that that the submarine had the part of it out of the water. Yeah. This is what I can't work out. 
some of it was out of the water. Cut the back end off. For a considerable amount of time as yeah. well. Cut the back end off or cut a big bastard hole in it so people can get out. I mean, the it's, submarine was in 150 feet of water. It's 270 feet long. So it's not just a little bit. If that you was tipped sti- it on its end, you'd have over 100 foot sticking out of the water. Yeah. It's just mental. Like To me, that's uh, it, it almost seems like they didn't want to damage the integrity of the ship and therefore the people on board was collateral damage. I think that's very, very good synopsis of it, yeah. to be honest, because they didn't want to damage the submarine because it was in such shallow water they knew it could be rescued, it could be recovered, and as a result, it could be used. And if you cut a hole in a sealed yeah, you can't use it. Thing. Realistically, the repair is never going to be as good no. as the original, and it might people just wouldn't have wanted to go to sea in it and fight in it, I would have yeah. thought. Which, I mean, on the principle, makes sense, but when you're talking, I mean, £24 million in today's money, but that's 99 people that have died for, you know, what? Do you know what I mean? For 20, I know £24 million, but... It, it brings back to, I can't remember, don't know if you remember, but the old Ford. They had a Ford. It was a good few years ago. And it went on the market. And if you crashed into the back of it, the petrol tank caught fire. Have you ever heard mm. about that? And the cost of recalling all of these vehicles would have cost them more than paying out if everybody who'd owned a vehicle died. So if yeah. everyone who owned the vehicle died in a lawsuit, it would have been cheaper than recalling the vehicles. So they just left them out there yeah. for people to die in. Mm. And that's exactly what's happened here. It's just a case of going, well, you know, it, it's tough shit, basically. We, we're we not going to lose our money. This is a cheaper option than rebuilding a yeah. new one. And they lost a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, and again, not all submariners, not all naval... No, there some was a of them lot were of just builders and civilians on board. Yeah. God, that's mental. That's a, it is a very, very interesting story. And like <laughs> I said, something I didn't even have a clue about. So um, if anyone listening to this was even half as gripped as I was listening to that, then, uh, you, yeah, this was uh, very interesting. And not well, like I said, not something I, I ever knew. I could have approached it in several ways, but I thought I'd do the surface bit first. Yeah, and well, then what happened inside, and then the end result. Yeah, I mean, I'm not being funny. I'm probably on the same boat as everyone else. If you don't know this story, let me know if you were thinking the same thing I was the whole way through that all 99 were going to be saved. The entire way through that, <laughs> I'm thinking they're all going to get out soon. How are they going to get them out? What's going to happen? And no, they all can die. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't be the only one that thought that. So if you did think that, let me know. Because I, yeah, you did this with um. What was the other episode you did this with? And I was like, oh yeah, th- I can't. Someone's going to shout it out to me. But you did this with another episode. That was it. The F- Robert Falcon Scott. Yes. The entire way, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get back. He's going to get <laughs> back, and no, he died. Do you know what I mean? And and the thing is, I even knew he died as well. I knew he died on that <laughs> expedition, but the whole way, I'm thinking, he's going to get back. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if. Uh, let me know. I want, yeah, Pete, I, everyone listening to this, I want you to send me a message on Facebook, This Week in History, 
email me twihpod at gmail.com get in touch with me let me know were you thinking the same thing that all 99 people were going to get out because yeah i i'm i was almost a bit shocked when you played that little clip and then it goes oh yeah but nobody got out so yeah that was the actual bbc message that came out over the radio yeah and to to the bbc world service yeah that's that's a that is an <laughs> awesome story yeah thank you for that yeah enjoyed that one very much i like that i enjoyed doing that one yeah that was quite good uh, very very good so yes well, there you go you heard it all there let me know what you thought of this episode let me know if you were thinking the same as me um and for everyone listening um you know thank you for your support this year obviously we're, we're into a new year um so thank you very much um if you want to support us even more you can join us on patreon um patreon.com forward slash this week in history um or you can drop me a message and support us in any other way possible um one of the biggest ways to support the podcast is to share it just to get our message out there get the episodes out there share it to friends and family and the more people that listen hopefully the better it is but patreon is there for for you you do get these episodes slightly earlier so for those of you listening to this on patreon you will have it a couple of weeks prior to everybody else and also you don't have to deal with those annoying adverts so but like i say every week thank you for joining us and just remember guys in the heat of the moment you're not just keeping it calm you're keeping it cool too with an ice cold cold brew And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with queen mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. We all have history. Let's make yours great. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with a synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... 
Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors.